Chapman, it's great to have you with us this and every morning. Uh, and we've got a great conversation lined up for you. We felt it necessary uh, as we have this incredible event happening in Kenya, the KICC here in Nairobi, uh, the Africa uh, Climate Summit starting today from 8 a.m., from mm-hmm. 8 a.m. all the way to Thursday. So in studio with us this morning, we have uh, Kagweria Kome. Did I get that right? You Ka- got it right. Kagweria Kome, manager of Rockefeller Found- at Rockefeller Foundation and uh, Wadzi Muchenje, right? Uh, director of Rockefeller Foundation. Okay, ladies, welcome to Capital FM. Thank you for having us. It, it is nice to have such big smiles in the morning. Sometimes Sonny and I come in here a bit... I was going to say, what are you saying about me? I'm usually smiling. Yeah, actually, that's very true. Sonny is very smiley. I, on the other hand, have a problem with uh, getting my, my my smile going. But uh, you've, you've made me smile this morning. Thanks so much for coming in, ladies, and uh, welcome to Capital FM. Uh, let's just get straight into it. First and foremost, uh, maybe the question I would start with is, how is the Rockefeller Foundation, how do we wrap all that up uh, and their involvement within the Africa uh, Cl- uh, Climate Summit? All right, so maybe I can go ahead and start. So the Rockefeller Foundation recently pivoted to become a climate and everything foundation. So what that essentially means is that everything we're looking at, our food initiatives, health, and our energy initiatives all have a climate-leaning angle. So this is very much up our alley. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so, and this is a new part of what the Rockefeller Foundation stands for, I guess, in that respect? Yes, that's correct. Okay, uh, and obviously your involvement here in, in the summit is, is going to be, uh, is going to be quite, quite uh, monumental, I assume, for the foundation, but also in terms of, of climate changes we need to make for, to, to make the world a better place, I yes, suppose. that's right? correct. Uh, now, Africa is at the front line of the climate crisis, yet it has contributed the least to the crisis. Uh, in total, Africa is only responsible for about 3% of historic emissions to the atmosphere. Why is ACS important, and especially for Kenya to host? Before you answer that, uh, I think that's you, Wadzi, as yes, well. Um, we know our former president and current president here, uh, we we started to hear about green initiatives during the last uh, presidency of His Excellency Uhuru Kenyatta, and he really became sort of the face for Africa, didn't he, for mm-hmm. in terms of climate solutions. And our current president is carrying that torch forward as well. Yeah. Uh, you can see from yesterday and uh, the rhetoric that's going around. But again, you know, are we are we saying we'll shoulder the burden for the re- for the for the mess the rest of the world uh, created? No, not quite. So maybe if I can just start by saying that this summit is organized by President Ruto and the African Union. So this is such a monumental occasion because this is the first time that the African Union is convening different member states to address climate change. Now, that's part one. Now, something else that we have to talk about is the African voice and the African perspective. This has been missing for a long time from the climate change narrative. Now, as we head towards COP28, another critical climate convening, this is an opportunity for global stock take. So we're going to say, how far are we from reaching the Paris Agreement um, goals that have been set out for all countries? Now, if I can just speak to that very quickly. The Paris Agreement says that countries need to reduce greenhouse emissions such that we make sure that we don't go above the 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature increase. Now, why is that so important? 1.5 degrees increase, that's an average across the world, right? There are some places that have higher temperatures. Now, I heard recently that, and this was actually yesterday evening, we're not the only ones who are seeking cooler temperatures, right? There are droughts, so forth, so people are migrating to cooler areas. So are our friends in the animal kingdom. So if you take snakes, for example, snakes don't actually thrive in hot weather, and they are now migrating to areas that are not natural habitats for them. Mm -hmm. So what we're now seeing is their communities that never had snakes before and are now seeing an uptake in snake bites. What does that mean? They don't have the knowledge to trick the snake bites 
And a lot of the times their clinics don't even have the resources for venomous snake bites. So this is a very real and current implication of an increase in temperature. But just going back to your question about why this is important for Kenya. So as you mentioned, President Ruto is a champion for the green growth narrative. And I think when I say that, what I'm really referring to is how climate change has been framed for Africans. So for the longest time, it's been, you know, we're the lowest emitters, and you actually just mentioned that, and we are suffering the most, so people should pay us. But there is power in narratives and how we frame them. Mm -hmm. If you look at the African continent, we have a comparative advantage on many fronts, right? So we have 60% of the best global solar resources. We have the largest reserves for critical minerals. So DRC alone has 70% of the world's cobalt reserve. So if you have a smartphone, it doesn't matter if it's an Android or it's an iPhone, chances are that your battery is being run by cobalt that was mined in the DRC. And then lastly, with the youngest and fastest growing population, mm. right? So if you add all these opportunities together, Africa really holds the solution for climate change. And this is something that President Ruto has been championing. Now, with Kenya being a front runner for a lot of green growth solutions, I think this summit presents an opportunity to really share that vision and bring others along on the journey. Okay, that's amazing. Well, when you're talking about bringing others along on the journey, I do wonder the role that education plays in um, the conversation on the climate crisis, because we've, we've had uh, others come in to talk about the environment and, you know, talk about the importance of even having these conversations in schools yes. so that as kids are growing up, uh, we're, we're paying attention to our environment and how we, we impact the environment and the environment impacts us. Uh, and is this going to be kind of part of the conversation around what's happening in the Africa Climate Summit? Yes, so maybe I can start and Kigurik can jump in. So another voice that's been missing is the voice of the youth. youth. I consider myself the youth. <laughs> we are the fastest growing group, and yet we are excluded from these conversations. Right. So education is definitely a part of the solution and making sure that everyone's at the table and everyone is bringing solutions. But Kugria, maybe you can jump in. The other thing, thank you so much, Sony, for your question. I think the other thing that I would add is that in as much as we also have the youth, we also have learners who are in education systems. So one of the things that the new administration has done is the revival of the 4K clubs, which try to teach kids about agriculture, but just not your traditional agriculture, but how do you use the resources that are around you in a regenerative way? How do you protect the environment? Which I think if you start to inculcate those skills at a younger age, then when you're older, you're more conscious about the impact that you have on the environment. Right. I look at like I look at our city, for example, and how much trash is just on the side of the road or in our river, like in the Nairobi River. Um, and th that implication, but also uh, just sometimes listening to the impact of climate change can feel really overwhelming when you're talking about like the climate uh the temperatures rising by 1.5 degrees and in some places higher and then yeah. snakes moving to different regions and sometimes it can feel like as an individual what power do i have and how can we have civic engagement in government but also uh as an individual what are things that i can do that are uh worth worthwhile and have real impact just to add on to what Sonny's saying, it also does feel on that note that, you know, what will my contribution really help? I mean, and I'm sure that happens a lot, but if everyone said, what would my contribution to help, we'd be in a, a huge mess. So just to add on to what Sonny's saying. Uh, thanks for it. So I think like what Wati said is that the conversations that we were happening before were on climate change were happening in boardrooms. But right now, Jerry, who's living in Kerenyaga, can understand that if the rains do come, they're either 
uh, not on time and even when they come they're probably not adequate enough mm-hmm. um, a Kuru in Turkana understands that the river levels arise the lake levels are rising and he's not able to go further in to get fish and he doesn't have even his boat cannot support that so I think this is an, an opportunity whereby we the citizens are coming up with our own solutions this climate summit offers an opportunity for the innovators who are in the space so if you're in clean cooking the clean cooking solutions are coming from us the cooling technologies are coming from us our young companies do not have to go to san francisco to look for that funding the funders are here Mm. and they are both local and international so take advantage of that opportunity the other opportunity that i see for kenyans is that for once your government is prioritizing this an issue. Next year, they'll have to report on what they have done in the last one year in terms of commitment. So that way we can create our, we can ensure that our government is accountable for the promises that it makes to its citizens. Now we've got rising temperature. I think what we're saying here is it doesn't matter who created the mess because if we look at the industrial revolutions uh, through history, so the third industrial revolution, because I know the fourth one is actually tech, but the Mm -hmm. third one, Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the climate issues originated from and the and the and the the climate issues that continue today are from that industrial revolution that's a lack of education a lack of knowledge exactly what we're saying and and, and um i think uh, kaguria you can uh, you can answer to this what we're saying is it doesn't matter who's responsible everyone will suffer if we don't start making some changes right um now rising temperatures will impact africa three degrees of warming would dramatically reduce yields and increase post-harvest losses for staple crops lower meat and milk production from livestock in other words doesn't matter where this comes from if we don't start making a difference and maybe it does have to start with us here in Mm -hmm. africa we will we will end up suffering anyway so is that why we we're not really pointing fingers and saying that you know the u.s and europe and the developed countries are the responsible we're saying no we will take <clears throat> we will take the lead and we will try and solve this help i shouldn't say solve we'll try and help solve this problem or at least alleviate the issues that are that are you know impend- impending issues um that's correct it's collective responsibility and you highlighted a very important issue on uh, the food security uh, concerns that you have so climate um Climate change has impacted food production negatively. And in addition to that, also what is it has exposed is that the way we grow our food is actually not sustainable. Intensive agricultural land, uh, uh, in- intensive agricultural production is responsible for almost a third of the greenhouse gases that we that we emit. And as the wise women once said, if you just keep doing the same thing, you are not going to have a different change. Sure. So some of the conversations that I'm really looking forward to in terms of agricultural production um, that will be coming up at the summit is the first one is like increased financing for climate smart production. So here we're talking about uh, small scale farm irrigation, um, light solar, light processing, all powered by renewable energy. The second important conversation is how do we increase production, uh, but while ensuring we are protecting our environment, but also increasing the availability of nutritious foods. So here uh, we want to focus on crops such as legumes. Uh, Beans are very good for improving soil diversity. And then also things that are more drought resistant like cowpeas, green grams and millet. And then finally, the 
another conversation that's happening and a one monument, monumental moment in this conference is like the government of Kenya has committed to feeding 10 million of its school kids, which is great for food security and nutrition and uh, school enrollment. But as they increase to reach the 10 million, we have to ensure that the menus that they choose are diverse. So meaning that kids are eating foods that are locally produced, creating and boosting the local economy. But then also we're not destroying the environment and cooking with uh, firewood but we're ensuring while we uh, feed our kids we're also protecting the environment that we have it's it's such a delicate balance to have to try and and achieve though right because on the one hand you know you people need to eat right on the other hand if i'm if i'm getting a meal in a if a school's getting 30 kids for example or 100 kids fed by the government I mean, they've got, they've also got to think about the way they're cooking that food, you know. So it is really a delicate balance of the two things. It, it's very difficult to say, I'm hungry. I don't care how this food gets made. I just need to eat. This is what we need to educate people on, I'm assuming. That's yeah. correct. It's um, a growth whereby we're growing sustainably. Um, because I think, as you rightly mentioned about, like, the Industrial Revolution, our growth, our focus there was just produce more. But now we want to take care of the environment. We also want to ensure the people that produce our food are uh, remunerated equitably so mm. that we're not creating an unjust society, but it's one that we care. It's a difficult balance, but it can be done. And I think for me, too, I, I, I think about how do you um, communicate urgency without... Uh, it, ensuing panic because I also think about you know Al Gore with an inconvenient truth that was 2006 mm -hmm. and here we are almost 20 years later having the exact same conversations you know still trying to uh, address uh, the climate crisis so how do we uh, communicate the urgency of needing change and and make people feel empowered to be able to create that change I think that's something that this summit is trying to address, so really bringing in civil society to to make this more tangible to right. people on the ground. Because as Kagria mentioned, this has been a conversation that's been in boardrooms. And part of what people are doing is, in addition to making it tangible, we want to make sure that there are solutions that are coming out of it. We're no longer talking about this is the issue. We're now right. talking about these are the solutions that can be proposed. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have been talking uh, quite a bit about food insecurity uh, that is kind of correlated with the climate situation, but there has been external uh, issues that have also caused food to be less available, and when it is available, more expensive. We're going to discuss that as well as a number of other things. Ladies, thank you so much. This is so insightful, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Capital FM. Thank you so much for being here, ladies. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here on Capital in the Morning. We're talking a little bit about the Africa Climate Summit, which is going down at the KICC from today, and uh, talking a little bit about, um, yeah, just just everything that's going on at the summit at, at the KICC. And I wanted to ask about this mobilizing of finance for the climate action and economic development. Uh, financing for climate-related projects around the world has reached an estimated $632 billion in 2019 and 2020, but only $19 billion of that came to Africa and then $2 billion from the private se sector. So how is the summit addressing this issue of increasing access to finance, finance and the broader global financial architecture? It's a very good question. So to answer this, I think we have to go back in history a bit. So when we talk about the global financial architecture, or GFA, we're really talking about Bretton Woods institutions. Now, Bretton Woods institutions are the international financial institutions that were created at the end of World War II. So that's 1945 to, pro to promote economic cooperation for countries. Now, what was happening on the continent in 1945? 
On the African continent. On the African continent. So we were very much still under colonial rule with a few exceptions, Ethiopia, Liberia, Egypt, and so forth. So ultimately, these institutions were created by global powers for their benefit. Mm -hmm. So about 25 years after these Bretton Woods institutions were created, they developed what are known as special drawing rights or SDRs. And SDRs work like shares, right? So you get an allocation based on how much you've invested. Mm -hmm. So the biggest shareholders right now are the US, EU countries, the UK, and so forth. Mm Now, fast forward to the COVID-19 pandemic. All the governments are in a fiscally tight space and are facing the three Cs, COVID, um, climate change, and in some cases, conflict. So the IMF makes a decision to release $650 billion worth of SDRs. Now, because this follows a shareholder model, you get what you put in. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, what that meant is that Africa got $33 billion, or 4% of that $650 billion. So one thing that's being called for as part of the GFA discussions as a summit is allocation of SDRs to countries that need them. Because in this current example, the countries that got them are the countries that are fine. It's countries in Europe, it's the UK, and so forth. So given that these discussions take time and we're not going to have a solution to a problem that started in the 1940s, (laughs) the summit is really going to push for green growth solutions and projects that attract private capital. Because where climate is concerned, Africa holds the solution, and Africa's open for business. Mm-hmm. Th- that's interesting you say that because it, it, it almost looks like the ones who caused a global problem are the ones being rewarded. And when I say rewarded, exactly. it's probably not the right word, but the ones being given the most help uh, when, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether that solution or problem was created in the U.S., the entire world is feeling the impact of, of exactly. that problem. So it is a little bit of an unfair ratio. You, mo- you mentioned climate, so I'm going to have to ask this question. Yes. Uh, under the Black Sea Grain Initiative, nearly 33 million tons of grain and other foodstuffs were exported from Ukraine from August 2022 to July 2023, helping to stabilize global food prices. It helped grain prices fall by 14% during the year it operated. Uh, the Black Sea Grain Initiative collapsed on 17th July when Russia withdrew from the deal. Um, can this be considered a contributor to the crisis we're experiencing when it comes to food? And I know it's, uh, you know, because we've been talking about the impact and we discussed this off air. So before you answer that, that no one knew we were getting this much food uh, and grain and wheat and things of that nature from the Ukraine until this illegal invasion broke out. Thanks, Farid. So as you rightly say, the Black Sea Grain Initiative was beneficial to several countries, um, especially countries like Ethiopia and Tunisia, and they have been able to get more than 40,000 metric tons, which is fantastic as a short-term solution for food security. However, this brings to the forefront like a systematic, a systemic issue that's wrong with our food system. Mm. The first concern is the low number of staples that we are reliant on. So our de- diets are becoming less diverse. I think when we were growing up, we had cassava, we had yam, we had uh, ndomas, uh, but you see less of that. Right now, what do we have? We have maize, wheat, rice, and soybean s- to provide more than half of the calories that we eat. And then to add more complexity on this, the world's exports and reserves of agricultural com- commodities are specifically located in, s- in are concentrated in geographic areas leaving us very vulnerable to the price shocks that you mentioned, uh, supply chain disruptions, we saw this during COVID, and then disturbances such as climate change. So back to the conference, I think some of the solution to to address increased availability of food and affordability, I think the first one is we'll be working on increased production of what we call maybe drought 
tolerant crops so that's your sorghum your millet your teff your fonio um, from different parts of of africa so that we're just contributing to a more resilient and diversified food system mm. right so that we're not just reliant on those four big crops that i mentioned and then another opportunity that we see that we've started hearing discussions about is with the food that we have how can we make it go further and what do i mean by this so for example the wheat and the maize that we're very heavily reliant on majority of it is processed meaning that it's the white refined product that you eat to get that white refined product that you eat about 30% is waste right mm-hmm. and that's the most nutritious part of the food however if we were to switch our diets to fortified whole grains then you get five times nutrients and then with the same amount of food you're able to feed 28% more people mm. and those are shifts that you can make easily if school programs started demanding fortified whole grain rather than the refined maize that we eat for our ugali we could start seeing those system shifts and the food is more available but it's 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 a it's a two part solution one we cannot be so reliant on f- imported wheat and grain you're talking about 28% more people if you use the entire uh, grain i think you're talking about including the husk as well right um because the price has imf has estimated the price has gone up 10 to 15% because of the war so you're saying if we could make that food go further then we could combat that price shift that is actually causing you know people who are just sitting above the poverty line to fall quite far below the poverty line right now Yes. And the challenge with our food system like you have to take a multi-pronged approach, right? So th- at the time that you're trying to uh, increase the availability of food, we also have to tr- try and change our behaviors around the food that we consume, well, that we consume, shifting towards more nutritious diets, having behavior change uh, campaigns so that people understand the food that we're eating and also understand the benefits that it has to us. Okay. All right. Uh, I think uh, as we close up, ladies, just a couple of uh, final questions. Uh, I would say, uh, Wadzi, uh, one for you here, which is what is what is the if you could pick one outcome yep. from this <laughs> summit. One, I know, I know, I, I'm, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure in your, I, I don't even want to look at your diary of things you like Wadzi's wish list from the summit. But what is the one outcome? So for me to definitely be greater emphasis on climate and health. Mm-hmm. Right now, climate is no or health rather is nowhere in these climate discussions and. I guess the challenge there, or the reason that is, is because when you think about climate and food, for example, if there's a drought, there's no food, you see that. Whereas climate and health isn't as intuitive. Cholera outbreaks right now are directly linked to changes in climate. Mm. So as we say in the public health space, health is the face of climate change, and we need to give that face a voice. So that's the one thing that I'd really love to see coming out of this summit. And we don't correlate the two, do we? I mean, we, 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 we... We do say that uh, climate change can cause hunger, but we don't think of it as a health problem. Exactly. Right? But even like you guys were talking about with uh, more nutrient-rich food, like that's also directly related to health. You know, uh, you're going to be healthier if you're eating more nutrient-dense foods. Precisely. Precisely. Okay. And uh, Kagweria, what does the summit mean for the average citizen? 
I had mentioned, I think it's a, just a win for citizens whereby you have this global convening whereby you can engage with experts, but also connections and linkages, especially for our growing businesses, but even for the civil society space as well to engage meaningfully. I think also for the government, just to take that bold step to be the pioneer um, in having this conversation and ensuring that they'll be accountable um, in the future. And then finally, I think we're regaining our glory as a hub for large conferences. Mm -hmm. I think, and those are the things that will trickle down to the economy, especially if we can prove that we can host this one. Yes, with minimal traffic disruption. (laughs) We're fine. We come in here at five in the morning. Leaving town is a different thing altogether. (laughs) It's okay for the environment, I guess. We learn how to walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, le- at yes. least we're talking about it, right? <laughs> yes. Ladies, thank you so much for coming in. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and please, uh, when this whole thing is over, I know you've got a very busy week, but please do try and come back sometime in the next week or two and tell us how it went. Sounds good. We'll Thanks. do. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so Marie. much. Capital FM.